Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit. This is episode 64 and we have been on our travels, Ronan. Yeah, not very far, Sean. I'm not sure we can call these travels. We were up in Birmingham and we were at the UK Games Expo and it was the 10th anniversary, Ronan. It was the 10th anniversary and it was all change. We're going to get into that in a minute. We're also going to be discussing the games we played, the games we looked at, the games we picked up, the games we trialled and the experiences we had while we were up there. And one thing about the UK Games Expo is there started to be newer releases, Sean, but this is going to be an episode slightly more about some of the older games we've picked up. Games which will be coming out, not so much released here at the Expo, and also the odd bargain or two we're able to find. Sean, where can everyone find us? Well, Ronan, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. You can go there for gaming podcasts of absolutely fabulous quality. If you want to download our episodes, we are on Stitcher, iTunes and Podbean. Okay, so, as we said, we went to the UK Games Expo, and as Ronan said, it was all changed there. The attendances were way up. We had 25,000 attendees, unique attendees of 12,636, peaking on the Saturday with over 10,000 people. It definitely felt different, Sean. I think the UK Games Expo previously just felt like a bigger version of other cons you have around the country. They had competitions, they had different things to see, but it, it really felt homebrew, if you like. This year, it felt like a real proper con. Yes, one that's still stepping forward, finding its feet, and not massively established, but I really thought this was a huge step forward. And the Games Expo, to be honest, was one of those things where I was like, mm, yeah, if I'm free that weekend, I'll go. Up to this year, because now it's fixed in my calendar. Yes, yeah, it's... it's definite high point of the year now Ronan it did have a feel of a sort of a mini Essen with the halls and all the major publishers that have come over and the blurb of what they're putting out in the press release is they're now uh, probably the fourth largest gaming convention expo in the world behind Gen Con, Essen and Origins. I think they're being slightly ambitious there. I think you've got to look at some of the PAXs, the fact that gaming's coming into lots of different types of conventions, like science fiction conventions, Worldcon, what have you. A bit of hyperbole. I'm going to pop out there, but but certainly something that's made its mark this year. And one of the things they did was, as well as having that Hall 1 in the National Exhibition Centre, they also had all the Hilton, where they used to have the whole convention. And they had events going on over there. They had Starship Simulators, but they had huge tournaments, over 400 people in the next wing tournament. I believe that was the biggest one ever. Someone's going to tell me I'm wrong, probably. And masses of open gaming in the evening. Now, you mentioned Essen. If there's one thing everyone talks about Essen, and we always do, is to have a central hub for open gaming. And the UK Games Expo has it. It does, Ron. It does. We went round the Hilton, especially on the Friday night, and the atmosphere, the buzz, people were playing all the games they picked up. And there was just a really nice, friendly, almost familial atmosphere going on. Absolutely, 100%. It was great to look into real huge rooms and see so many people, different ages, different backgrounds, all having fun and enjoying the hobby. It, it did give me a bit of a fuzzy inside you. <laughs> let's, talk, let's not talk about that curry yet. <laughs> it's like that, is it? So I think the last thing we're talking about to make it feel like a real major, major con is it would need some new games. 
coming out, specifically debuting at the Expo. Now, there were some games debuting there, and we all discussed some of them. We were lucky enough to get a few played. There are even sneak previews of upcoming games, and not just on Kickstarter, but actually quite major releases, and I think we're going to talk about that as well. For me, if it can get a few more big releases, then it will really have made a global mark. Well, that's where it really does need to sort of pimp itself up a little bit. I did feel like this one, although there, as you said, there were a few, there was a lot of Kickstarter stuff, a lot of, ah, oh, this is going live in July, this is going live in August, and this isn't the finished uh, detail, this is just, um, not prototypes going around. But but I do, I do think that's a global trend. Quite possibly. Everywhere yeah. we've been, it's the same thing in Essen. How many games, the last time we had, we say, how many bloody kickstarter games are there here that you can't actually get or play it how else you know it's a great way to get buzz for a couple hundred quid to have ten thousand gamers walk past and possibly see your game if a hundred of them even 50 of them back you've made your money back you have but i think in terms of drawing the industry as a whole and and getting those people from across the seas i think they are going to need a few big big releases what it means for me is that I think people see the Expo as a chance to catch up on games they may have missed, look out for bargains, for publishers to promote games which have already been successful post-Gen Con, post-Essen, and then really try to embed them in with a new gaming market. And therefore, for us, going there, we went as press, obviously, to cover some of the games. We also went there, obviously, as gamers and consumers. It's a chance to pick up bargains. The bring and buy is fantastic. It is a long queue. You don't have to queue if you're press, sorry. <laughs> Let's think about press bars. Sorry about don't don't that, bring know. back the memories of my 45 minutes queue. <laughs> Sean might have chosen to queue when he didn't have to. And it's not a short queue, but it is brilliant because there are so many games going through there constantly. They're being brought in throughout the weekend. The stock's refreshing. There are lovely volunteers busy bringing out new stock. And we picked up some bargains there. We're not necessarily going to talk about them in this episode, but it's just another feature to really mention that it's a almost a focal point of secondhand games there you see thousands go through over the course of the weekend yeah, I, actually you raise a really good point there ronan maybe maybe we shouldn't be looking to compare it with s and, and gen con maybe it's going to find its own ground and maybe these are the things that maybe the unique britishness of of the event is what we should be focusing on and maybe we don't need it to be that much bigger maybe that's it's hit the right stride it maybe it's hit the size it needs to be it's not going to be too busy like Essen is when you can't move on a Saturday maybe we maybe we want the moon on the stick that's probably a positive to mention actually is how much room there was even on the peak at Saturday it didn't feel crushed the walkways were still pretty clear if you wanted to get to certain booths and walk along and sort of look all the way along a shop front if you like that could be a little bit of a hassle but actually getting from A to B perfectly easy really a massive plus not the crush you're used to coming back to the other point you made sean with regards to space what it does is it gives i think certainly uk and ireland based publishers that could get swamped in other conventions a chance to show off and shine and get spotted amongst the crowd there's a couple of games we're going to talk about that were they at something bigger we probably would not have noticed we did find some uh Diamonds in the rough there, definitely. There were some games just hidden away in corners that we actually went and tried and thoroughly enjoyed, and we'll be mentioning them later on. 
I think actually that's great. Hidden Away Corners, nice segue. This is probably the last point we're going to make before we go and talk about the actual games we played. I found it really strange that what I thought would have been some of the fanfare titles that they had on display there were not being promoted. They weren't talked about beforehand. And even when you're in the hall, it was really easy to miss them. Now, I think that the guys who are running the expo, I don't know what their awareness is of the board gaming landscape or what have you. But there are certain titles in there that were flagging up and being shown that I thought, wow, they really should have promoted these. Star Trek Frontiers was available to play. Yeah, we just happened upon that. We just happened to just, wander it was past and it was being played. Crazy, like tucked in a tucked down an alley almost yeah. with a couple of narrow tables. There was two or three copies. The long end of them wasn't facing the walkway. It was the narrow end. Yeah. And it just looked like some people playing a game until you stopped and went, hold on, what is that? It was Star Trek Frontiers playable. Huh? Indeed, and we we actually couldn't find it. I spotted it, and I said, I'm sure I've just spotted Star Trek Frontiers. And then I tried to guide you back to it, and I couldn't find it. That's how inconspicuous it was. Another one that we are going to talk about, but I thought this should have been a selling point, Colony. Colony's going to be Bezier Games' big S and release. Whatever you think of it, and we have previewed it previously, it is a name game, and it was there was nothing. I believe there was a banner, which I hadn't noticed. We're going to talk about it in a second, but we played it. We had to learn it from the rule book, and no one even came and spoke to us about it. If I was UK Games Expo, I'd be there debuting Star Trek Frontiers, debuting Colony. I'm trying to think of the others that may have been there with big uh, animals on board. Come and play it. That's starting to make a splash from Pegasus. Really pimping these out and saying, look, these are big names from big companies. We're a big player. Actually, they had the English version of the Dwarves debuting again. I have not seen the English version yet. So it was just on Yeah, that was first chance to play. Yeah, Yeah, another one that... Come on, you know, really drive these, bring people in, generate the interest. Anyway, enough about that. All in all, really positive, Sean? Very, very. I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. As we said at the top of this segment, that it's become it's become a part of the calendar now. It's something I'm going to look forward to next year. I believe it's going to be out next year on the 2nd to the 4th of June. So already looking at my, my annual leave for that year. Yeah. So that's two lobster cons, the UK Games Expo and Essen, all booked in for your leave already. I ain't got much left, have I? <laughs> <laughs> what beach holiday? Okay, what people really want to hear is what we played and what we think about them. So we're going to kick things off with a big name game, which has just been nominated for the Spiel des Jahres, and Sean, lead us in to a magical, mystical world of ancient Egypt. It is from Phil Walker-Harding and Cosmos Games, Ronan. It is Imhotep. That's Imhotep for anybody else listening. (laughs) Your asthma's is kicking up. It's a funny old game, you see. It's actually, is it a game of two after where you're sick as a parrot? It is. We are sick as a parrot. You're, you're 2016 kicking off soon, so we've got to get our football quotes <laughs> in. And it's essentially a delivery game where you are delivering stone from your quarry to various places in the middle of the table. Some of them will give you cards. Some of them is building the pyramids or building obelisks. You've got three basic choices in the game. Do you want to mine for more stone? Do you want to place some of that stone onto a ship? Or do you want to sail the ship? And where you place on the ship depends on what order you go when you reach your destination. Not going to go into too much more now because I think we've got some more playing of this to go, Ronan. But, Ronan, initial thoughts on Imhotep. Hmm. So, some of the interest should be 
there's four ships available each round and there's five areas they can go to and generally by placing a stone on a ship you're giving up where the ship goes to to the other players around the table and someone's going to nick it if it looks too beneficial to yourself and i was expecting that to be a tough choice but actually what we found when playing is you fill up with stones when you have to or as a default when you don't want to have to stay the ship and there's little left to do and then you generally are trying to avoid sailing a ship because if anyone else's stone is on the ship that you're sailing and they've got two three or four spaces in them each of these ships anyone else's stone is on there you're benefiting them almost as much as you're benefiting yourself if not more so therefore you're spending one of your precious actions and you only get one action to go so everyone takes one action around the table one of your precious actions for minimal benefit if any at all over the other people on the ship and so therefore I'm not sure that I was really faced with that many tough decisions in the game, Sean. See, I felt that part of the game is getting those cubes onto the right ships and, and trying to manipulate it that way. So I felt you had to stop people, maybe sail boats early, the sailing of ships to come, like, maybe that you don't even have a cube on, to completely useless locations for the other people. I know every location has a bonus, there's no negatives, but... Some people might be going for certain things and sell it to a different area. It kind of scuppers them a little bit. I felt there was a little bit more to it. Yeah, I, I get your point. You you played kind of with the one strategy of get cubes on boats. I sailed a lot more boats and there was only two points in it at the end. So I feel like maybe there is a bit more to it. But I didn't sail any. I just made sure I had cubes on any boat that went anywhere and I won. Yeah, but maybe that's because the three other players, myself included didn't really sort of manipulate the boats and send you to places that you maybe already won here's the, here's the important issue about certainly my very lukewarm reception to Imhotep there are two sides to the boards and we played on the A side as it recommends for your learning game now to me if you're a gamer don't worry about the A side it's a very simple game you don't need to be eased into it you don't need training wheels just go straight in there go and play on the B side we are going to play on the B side and come back to the game because it had the heart of something interesting. Maybe it was just the fact that we played the learning game. It was too bland. So I don't want to go on about it for too long. Yeah, me either. I actually enjoyed it a lot more than you did, Ronan. But that B-side does look really interesting. It, it, the sailing of the ships is going to matter a lot more. And that might counteract some of your issues with the game. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a decent game. Okay, we're going to move on to what was probably the hit of the con I'm going to throw out there and my personal favourite game it was Ice Call from Brain Games and designed by Brian Gomez this is a flicky penguin game it kind of reminded me of the Z-Ball that you get in Roasters and is it called Bikesters or something like that anyway it's a penguin with a, a weight in the bottom of its body and you can flick it around and it allows you to spin around and have some alleged control on your flick the game itself comes in a box and then there are four more box bottoms inside there which you pull out and then you clip those together to form the board which is very clever you end up with five rooms with doorways between them on each round one of the penguins is a chaser and the other three are runners if you like and all the runners are going to start in the same space and you're trying to flick through three of the doorways and you collect a fish for each doorway you go through and the chaser is simply trying to take one flick and trying to hit any of the others and every time they hit one of the other players they take their ID card every time you go through a doorway if you're running you take a, a points card which is worth between one and three every time you hit one of the other runners the chaser you're going to take their ID card as I said and that's going to get you a fish card which is worth between one and three they mitigate the luck of the drawing points a little in that if you've got two 
one point cards you can flip them over they call them ice skates and you can have a second go so it's a fun family dexterity game it was getting played everywhere brain games had a big booth towards the back of the hall it was hard to miss sean ice cool well for a spectacle to start off with uh, first of all actually i will say the brain games did a fantastic job promoting this game they were one of the first people to email out with their press release they they were obviously really passionate about the product their stand looked great and on top of that they had a fantastic looking product it just stood out from the crowd with the, all those boxes connected and just made you want to go and have a look at this spectacle so to find that there actually was quite a fun easy to get into jokey game there that i think will appeal to families and to adults as well you just get put your silly hat on and you just shout abuse across the table it's a lot of fun this game what i found that actually is you play it a little bit more you can get more skilled at it it actually becomes quite tactical it's possible to flick the head of the penguin actually jump over walls which is just awesome because it makes you at least feel like you're slightly skilled even though i rarely get positive results from it as well as that sort of thing of getting a little bit more tactical, I've played it with my kids since we came home and they absolutely adore it. You put this box down in front of kids and start pulling the other four boxes out and it has got that sort of, that wonder factor, that, oh, wow, what's that? Oh, that's so cool. And then you tell them you're flicking a colourful penguin around, one, one over. But it is, as Sean said, for kids of all ages. My game of the con, I really enjoyed it a lot. Brilliant, ice cool, a fantastic family flicking game. Cool. So right now we're going to go on to multi... It was cool. It was cool. cool. It was ice cool. We're going on to multi-universum from Board and Dice. It's quite an abstract card game. But the the general blurb is you're a scientist operating in a secret lab and you've, op- you've opened portals to new dimensions. These need to be now closed before the denizens of the worlds that the portal was open to invade. This is a game... Where you are the scientists, there are five multicolored labs in a circle, and each one of them has a deck of portals that have been opened. What you are trying to do is move around the five labs and close as many of the portals as possible. You do this by using cards which have two uses. They have a use for the resources, there's five different resources, and each portal will need a certain amount of resources to close them. And each card has actions that are specifically tailored to the colour of laboratory that you're on. And that's essentially the game. You're trying to manipulate the actions that you're doing on the laboratories, which range from getting cards into your hand to moving around to closing the portals. And you're trying to also get resources into your hand. You have three actions to juggle in any way you you wish and the person at the end of the game that wins will be the person who closes the most portals and each portal is worth a certain amount of points that's multi-universe and rona did you ever look at this at all i didn't even see it and it's strange because it sounds like it was really colorful and it would stand out on the table but i was wandering around in a in a haze most of the time in terms of the puzzle itself is it that you're definitely going to close all those portals and who does it most efficiently or is it possible to lose the game no, Ronan, no, you can't lose the game. It is specifically a game between the players. It's a race to close the most portals. The game will not defeat you if you don't close enough portals. The end of game is when two stacks of portals run out. Okay, cool. And what drew you to it? Was it that it is this you know, colourful thing? Was it the puzzle aspect? What really drew you in to give it a go? 
Well, I'll be honest, it was my wife Natalie. <laughs> she spotted it and she really liked the, the science angle and that's what made me have a look at it. It's not my type of game. It's, it's, it's very abstract. But having said that, it is an interesting puzzle and trying to balance that resource management with the, getting the right cards and cycling through the deck as quickly as possible. I found it a really interesting puzzle. At least if they have pasted a theme on, they've pasted a different theme on with using like with CERN and all that sort of business. So are you glad you got to, are you going to play it again? Sum up multi-universum for us. It's a good abstract. And if I'm enjoying it, then it's got to be something to it more than just that pasted on theme. I found it goes a little bit longer than I wanted. That's the only negative I can say about it. A positive side though, the artwork is absolutely fantastic. The next one we tried was a big release that's coming out in a month or two from Mayfair Games designer Matthias Kramer. It's Fight for Olympus. This is a two-player, lay your cards to the middle of the table and try and beat each other up game. Lost Cities, Battlegrounds, Shot and Totten, Omen, that sort of thing. You know where we're talking. It's obviously got an ancient Greek theme. There are six battlegrounds, three in Olympus, two in Delphi and one in Troy. You're trying to defeat each other on each of these six battlegrounds to either get points, tokens delayed to play more cards or to get more cards into your hand. You're playing cards down, basically all have a cost and it's going to be a cost in colour of cards or tokens if you've been able to win them from previous battles. And the cards are going to be either heroes, heroines, soldiers or there's the odd bit of equipment in there. We only play with a limited deck so this can't be a full review but we did play a full game off the deck that was available there to sort of run through and get an idea of the game. Sean, it's a crowded market. It's a niche he's trying to break into. It's a big name designer. How did you find Fight for Olympus? Um, Ronan, I've got to say, this is the first real negative for me in this episode, is I just didn't enjoy this game at all. I thought it had some really nice ideas. I liked the different areas that you play to, the central board on the table, and that they give you different rewards. But I felt that mm, if the opportunity was there to score the points and push you back along the points track, why would I not take it? So I felt that was fairly an obvious choice. And also the cards didn't feel balanced or maybe even not play-tested enough. There just seemed some ridiculous cards that you would never use in a hundred years on your opponent that actually seemed to give your opponent more than you get from them. So I didn't understand that. And they were quite expensive to play as well. Yeah, I didn't understand this game at all, how it's been released. <laughs> Especially from you know, from Matthias Kramer, you think, wow, this has got to be something different. Nothing different. I didn't feel particularly pressurised at any time. I felt that cards were very precious with the six battlegrounds. Getting all six areas covered is a winning condition. So you generally got maybe two or three in play, and you're throwing away four cards to play one decent card. And you think, hold on, why would I use those cards to play for another card when I have to cover my bases? Otherwise, I'm giving my opposite player a free reign to attack me. It, it never made sense. It didn't feel balanced. I've got a horrible recurring nightmare of Mayfair and Lookout getting the Hengis design from Uwe Rosenberg and he never really wanted it to come out and have they done the same thing to Matthias Kramer because it, it feels about as dull and broken as that game was. Yeah, it just didn't work at all for me. I just didn't enjoy the game. I felt that there was, there was a couple of cards that actually say, play this card, it comes straight out and your opponent gets a card. Hey! Why? Hey! Why would I do that? Hey! 
Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Do you know what? That's my response to this whole game. Fight for Olympus. Aye! <laughs> okay. We are going on to uh, CVilizations from Granite Games and being now distributed in the UK by Coiled Spring Games. So, this is kind of a follow-on to CV, which I know you haven't played, Ronan, but I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, CV. CV being a light game, this one has actually been built as even lighter, which takes some doing because CV is a light game. What you are is a leader of a tribe, and you're basically writing the tribe's CV by deciding on what inventions, tools, buildings, and ideologies to develop. It's a resource management game. There are three resource in, uh, resources in the game. Victory points are basically happiness, so it's the happiness of your tribe. On your go, it, you've got an action selection, which is with a slight difference. You have a range of eight actions, so some of them are picking up resources, some of them are stealing things from the other player, and there's a trade option, and there's a double up option. And you're going to play one of these actions face up, so everyone can see it, and you're going to play one of them face down. The reason I mention this is because I really enjoyed that, me that mechanism within the game. So you don't know exactly what everybody's going to play. And when everybody turns over, if two people have got the same action, then you're going to score maximum points for it. If you, one person's got it, you're going to get a few bits and pieces from it. And if three people have got it, generally, you're not going to get anything. So that's an interesting aspect. There are things in the middle of the table that you're going to pick up, as I said, the inventions, buildings, ideologies, and you can bring them into your tableau and you're going to, they're going to help you along your way. I know you haven't played CV. Do you know anything about CVilizations? Just what you've told me and having a quick chat to the Cold Spring lovely people. Where does it sit, Sean? You know you enjoy CV. I believe you enjoyed this, but it is lighter than CV. Is it a gateway game? Yes, it's a perfect gateway game. It brings in that hidden action selection and also a little tiny bit of resource management. Very simple, just the three resources. There's only ever four cards in the middle of the table. Yeah, very, very much a gateway game. It will teach people some, some mechanisms that are used in more in depth in other games. I also think it's a great either start of the day's gaming game or end of the night game when everyone's sort of I, I believe down. we call them openers and closers. <laughs> there you go. Stolen from American uh, sports, right? Okay, we'll go with that. They are, it's good it's, enough for Mark Johnson, it's good enough for it's us. It's a great opener and closer, I think. Oh, nice, nice. Don't move. have to think too much about it. The artwork is quirky, but I really like it. And I just, it's a f nice game. It's a nice, nice game. game. Right? Nice game. Let's go on to another nice game, shall we? This is Ominos, designed by Andrew Harmon and from Yay Games. This is a purely abstract game, although it claims it's got an Egyptian theme to it. Even, I think, Andrew knows that's pushing it a bit. You're trying to create groups of four dice on a grid. Each of the players is going to have one colour, up to four players, and they're going to roll the dice. Now, the dice is going to come up in one of those four colours or one of two wild sides. If it comes up... In the colour of any dice that's already on the board, you must move them on the grid three spaces, then you must place the new dice down. So if you roll someone else's colour, you're trying to screw them over. If you roll your own colour, you're trying to move it towards the dice already on the board of your colour to create sets of four. Once you have a set of four or more, you just take them off the board, you score that number of points, and the first 13 points is going to win. The twist comes in that there are two wild sides. One is the raw, which allow you to move any dice, which will allow you to screw the other players over or help you make your set and then put it down. 
Once either of the wild sides is down on the board, it is then a wild color. You may create sets of any color using that one, which creates a nice sort of focal point for the spatial battle that's going on here. And the other wild is a serpent, which means you can re-roll any dice on the board. And exactly the same thing. You're going to be using that to either set yourself up or to scroll over the plans of the others. Plays in 15 to 20 minutes. It's got some thought in it. Lots of dice rolling. Enough luck that you're not taking it too seriously. Loads of screwage so that you can't get too butthurt if anyone does something to you because it, it's just going to happen and go around the table and happen again and again and again. And you know what? We, this was recommended by goplaythisson.com for Chris Marlin. We went over and gave it a go and I absolutely fell for this game. I really enjoyed it, Sean. Ominos? It's another one, Ronan. These conventions kind of bring up that you frog march me over to a table that I just have no interest in. I'd walk past this maybe... 20 times and not even registered it at all it's just not my type of thing chris mentioned it you made me go and play it and i thoroughly enjoyed it yeah it is screwy but it's funny screwy it is a dice roll at the end of the day things are going to happen based on that dice roll there's only so much you can do on your turn and it's just a fun game you can't get too heavily invested in it uh, yeah I, I thoroughly enjoyed it so there was only the deluxe version available at the UK Games Expo. I think the retail version is coming out sometime in the autumn, probably around Essen time. I've played it with the kids. I've played it with adults. We've all had fun. I recommend keeping your eyes open for Omino's. It's a really clever design. One of those that you think, surely this has been done before, but it hasn't. Go, roll dice, laugh, point at each other, mock the person with the worst luck, usually Sean. Yay! Love it. Omino's. Wasn't it, Sean? Another dice game. It's another dice game, and this one is certainly not a new release. I believe it came out in Essen last year. It's Ancient Terrible Things from Pleasant Company Games. This is a dice manipulation game, which is themed around the old Cthulhu mythos that Ronan so loves. Mm. You are uh, delving into a jungle river adventure as an explorer, and there's, as I said, some Lovecraftian mischief afoot. You've got to use five basic dice, essentially, to go and kill or battle monsters. If you should win, then you keep the monster and they score you points. There are also other things you can do. You can buy equipment that will give you little boons, uh, ongoing uses to manipulate dice or bring new dice into the game. And there are, there are other cards that give you one-off powers that you use. Very simple dice manipulation in the, yeah, I suppose, if you crossed... Arkham Horror and, and Court the King strike Yahtzee. That's all it is. Very, very simple. It needs to be played quick. But, yeah, it's, it's the hit of the con for me, Ronan. Incredible. So, <laughs> we have Elder Sign. Why do we need Ancient Terrible Things? A lot lighter, a lot easier. Against each other, you're not against the game itself. I just like the feel of the game. It's really easy to teach, really easy to learn. It plays out in about 40 to 45 minutes, and it's a dice game. I'm always going to look at dice games, and it's pretty. I remain seated in the throne of skepticism. I, I don't think you'll enjoy this at all. You'll, you'll, you'll pick it to pieces, but it's a game certainly you in You made me wheelhouse. sound like a bad person. You I'm are a bad, a bad person. person. You are a bad person. I'm not a bad person. <sighs> Right, I'm going to be a bad person now, though. <laughs> Spoiler. Oh, Shall we move on to Colony? Do we have to? We mentioned already. Now, we previewed it. And from the preview, <laughs> Sean said that I was going to go into this expecting to hate it. Let me tell you straight up. I 
was hoping this was going to be really good. I was pleasantly shocked to spot it set up behind five other gaming tables in a corner with no fanfare or anything to sit down, play the whole game from the rule book and have no one approach us and talk to us about it. I was really hoping for this to be good. Now, it's a sci-fi themed game. Ted Ausback has somewhat changed Torio Hojo's original design, Age of Croft. It's coming from Bezier Games in Essen. It's a set of cards set up from loads of them, basically. It's a different setup every time. There's some basic cards. Dice represent resources. You're going to be rolling dice. Whatever the number comes up represents what resource they are. You're going to use those resources to build other buildings or to upgrade the buildings you already have. That's going to give you more production, allow you to store more dice, possibly attack other players, get an income of dice coming in each turn. And everyone's trying to race forward towards scoring, I believe it's 14 points in a three-player game worth of buildings. So that's what you're doing, trying to use your resources somehow. Uh, the buildings are going to cost you like three fours and two twos, or two fives, two threes, and a one. It's that sort of combination you're trying to get together. At the beginning of your turn, you're going to roll as many dice as there are players, keep one, and allow a draft for the others going round. You're going to get in whatever dice you get from the buildings you already built. You're going to be able to store some dice from the previous turn, and you're trying to get these into sets to purchase buildings to get yourself going and build some sort of engine before i go any further sean what were your impressions okay let's let's start with the disclaimer i'm the positive one about this game right (laughs) now i've written down soulless solitary disappointing slog i think that that can pretty much can i object on the grounds of you being too kind (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure. I've actually never seen you so angry after finishing the game. Maybe after Blood Rage, but other than that. <laughs> Just, uh, my first reaction was, it's a game of Dominion coated in seven layers of bureaucracy. Getting a flood of dice, which have been rolled to random numbers, which I then can't do anything about. I can't manipulate them. There's, there's no cards that allow you to go up the, up one, down one. There's one card that lets you swap two dice for one other dice. I'm getting the butt end of a draft half the time of what's been taken. I'm just going to buy whatever building my numbers allow me to buy. Because I can't change them. So if I happen to have three threes and two twos, that's the building I'm getting. What does that give me? More threes. Yuppie-doo. For all a couple more threes, I'm going to buy another one of those buildings, which is going to give me more threes. there's nothing I can do with them. I can't... I've got no agency. I'm not determining where my engine goes. I'm not determining my own strategy. I'm just seeing what I've got and going, well, I guess I'll buy that one then because it's the only one I can buy. All of this time, I'm in this with my head down while the other two players are filing their nails, finishing off their novel, phoning their mother, and then I have to tap my shoulder and go, it's your turn. Because nothing I do affects them unless I try and attack them or trade. Trade's really boring. Attacking's really random. Attacking was the only card I really liked in the game because it actually did provide some entertainment. If you really liked it, why didn't you buy them? Uh... Because you never got the <laughs> dice! Because you had no control! <laughs> yeah, it's... It's, just, oh, it's, it's so disappointing. I thought, oh. as I said in our preview, Ronan, I thought that when I saw resources being added to a 
Berbia, like sort of Tableau. I thought, right, okay, crossing sort of favour of the Pharaoh with suburbia i thought yeah you're gonna have to build your actual buildings you're not just gonna buy them and put them down you have to build them you're gonna have to get materials to do it awesome they're gonna be cards that help you manipulate stuff fantastic that sounds wicked no no i think um it was natalie that just couldn't get her head around because she's just like i can't do anything there's nothing we she even went through the box because there are more cards we didn't see all the cards and she went through the box and pulled out another 10 12 cards and none of them manipulated dice so whether we just missed the section that had all the manipulation cards i don't know but there was just nothing you could do to change what you were what you're doing other than possibly get those unstable dice in certain values but even then you're stuck with those values it's taken more of my time than i care to give it I'm done with it. <laughs> okay shall we move on please right we're going to talk about two games back to back here and they're both from queen games one of them's super vampire and the other one's dragon valley i'm going to quickly introduce super vampire it's a dexterity game where you're a vampires and evil dr garlic has placed garlic on these little raised walkways the game is actually the box actually lifts up and it's a raised walkway and then you have to put on what we've termed the thimble of doom which is a plastic coating that goes over your finger so you can't get any purchase mm, on your figure on disease. <laughs> <laughs> and you have got to push your character along these walkways which are really thin and get to the garlic that you've been designated to get and try and get back before all the other players roll a set of dice and get sun faces. I think there's two out of the six on each dice and they get, have to get six sun faces and then if you don't do it by that, your turn is over. And that is it. It's pretty much just a dexterity game with a timer. I'm just going to go straight on and talk about Dragon Valley because I think our, our thoughts are similar about both of them. Yeah, yeah. It's another kids' game Queen Games are doing. In this case, that you get dealt out three cards of different dragon colours on, and everyone's going to get those cards, and you're going to have a partner. So if I've got one of the green dragons, and Sean's got another one of the green dragons, we'll be partner for the green dragon. Reach in a bag, pull out the colour of dragon, then that's going to go on a platform to one side of the board. How far away depends on how much of a masochist you are. You're then going to use chopsticks to give you two sets, thicker or thinner, thinner or a lot harder, and then... <laughs> Each of you are going to have one chopstick on one side of the dragon. You're going to try and pinch it between the ends of the two chopsticks and then maneuver it across to the board. A lot harder than it sounds, especially with the thin ones. Very funny. You can't move at different rates to each other because once those chopsticks go at an angle, the dragon's just going to drop to the floor. There are also penalty cards in there, which means you've got to do it with your eyes closed or with your left hand or... Oh, <laughs> as Esther said, the lovely lady was showing us, holding your chopstick like a posh wizard <laughs> you can imagine that whatever that means just again another one fun the two of them together nice family for younger kids dexterity games i'm gonna say not much older than eight or nine years of age i think good adult drinking games are that way inclined and and they were they were a good laugh sean and, and good production quality yeah we certainly have fun everyone we saw playing them was laughing and giggling i felt that <laughs> There was a little bit more to Dragon Valley because you do have those other cards where you can play with one hand over your eye, as you said, or the larger or thinner chopsticks. I thought there was a little bit more depth to that. If you're talking about depth in these games, which is hardly any, I felt that actually Super Vampire was really hard. I don't think any of us even managed to get get to our garlic, never mind bring it back. It was in fairness in this hard. game for ages six and up, she puts on the hardboard. So that was just mean. <laughs> 
Let's not look at us and think, oh no. Sure, yeah, look at us and think, nah, I think we might have to develop another lower game. Have we got the really easy board? <laughs> Two fun, interesting games. So, moving on from those fun games, here's another colourful fun game. This one is much more for grown-ups. Although it does say for ages 8 and up, and it was simple enough to be played. It was Garden of Bees, designed by Brian O'Moore, Kira Costello and Owen Costello, and from Deccan Awesome Games, a Dublin-based publisher. And this is their first game, I believe, and it's coming on Kickstarter any minute now. It's a really funny, really screwy game, based on each player's got their own hive, and they have a queen bee, and the queen bee has got a set health, and once there's only one player left with the queen bee, they've won the game. The queen bee is going to give you honey, which you're going to spend to possibly buy event cards, and also to buy bees. Bees are one-off attacks you can do on other players. Each bee you spend, and, and a bee can only attack once, as we all know, because their guts come out with their sting, right? It means you roll the dice, and the dice have got three blank sides, two one-hits and one double-hit, and they go directly onto the queen bee, unless the other players manage to get some guards, which are quite hard to get. There are also wasps, which can attack. They're quite hard to get as well. So generally, it's bees attacking each other around the place. You're just picking who to attack, rolling the dice, seeing if you hit. Sounds very simple. The interesting bit to it is there is economy with this honey. So the more you get hit, the less honey you have coming in. But conversely, you're less of a threat. So it's quite hard to all gang up on one person because then you're going to leave someone else getting their economy slightly ahead of yours and, and they're going to be at an advantage. For One of the things is each turn there's going to be a harvest phase. And you turn over a card and there are three different colours, blue, yellow, or red. And it will tell you on a roll of a D6, if it comes in as, for example, it comes in as number three or four, They'll be coloured yellow, let's say, and it'll say times two. Comes in on five or six, they'll be coloured blue, and it'll be times five. And you can gamble your honey and say, oh, maybe I'll spread my bets here, or no, I'll pull it all on six. And if six comes in and you've put all your honey on blue, you're going to get five times that amount of honey back and then be in a, in a position to suddenly buy some event cards, get a lead, buy a load of bees, and then have everyone else beat you up. So is it worth gambling higher? Is it worth sticking around? And it's light enough for that to be really, really funny. It is very luck-based, that. You can go sort of high risk or low risk if you want to do it. If a six comes in when you've bet everything on it, you're wetting yourself laughing. If it comes in as a one, everyone else is wetting themselves laughing at you. When you attack someone, if you roll three double hits and wipe them out, obviously the other players are all then wetting themselves laughing at the person who's dead. Or if you roll a load of blanks, as I kept on managing to do, and naturally, then everyone's laughing at you because you're wasting your money all the time. Light, quick, fun. I wasn't that drawn in by the initial impression, but once I started playing, it completely won me over. Go and check out Garden of Bees on Kickstarter from Deccan Awesome Games. A couple of questions, Ronan, because I didn't see this one at all. You, you snuck off and played this one. Tucked away at the back while you were queuing for the bring and buy. <laughs> Shh. Well, I thought we were never to mention that again. <laughs> <laughs> what are you queuing, mate? <laughs> you should have walked straight in. Ah. Anyway, so you you mentioned that it's uh, it's very luck based, just a fun game for to to enjoy. Not don't take too seriously. Do you think it's player dependent? I, I can imagine certain groups here just hedging their bets, playing it very cagey, eking along. Do you think it will bring those type of players out of their shell? Well, the most important thing is if someone's doing that, you obviously just attack them. But if you get and that's a, group, a great thing if, about if the game, you get a group is... of like minded people. 
Well, then don't play games with them. <laughs> I'm fed up of blaming games for those sort of people. It's light, it's funny, it's forced attacky. You know, some people are going to love it, some people are going to hate it. It's really funny. Cool. And the longevity, like you really enjoyed it. You said it was a lot of fun. Do you think it's got legs? I think, given that it's a 20 minute game, yeah. I mean, I happily play it. You get it out. Let's play a game of Blood Rage. Get really frustrated. Right, let's play a quick game of uh, Garden of Bees and get some of those frustrations out with each other. <laughs> it's it's better than Blood Rage. Shh. In 20 minutes. Shh. <laughs> You're just talking nonsense now. <laughs> Come on then, Sean. Let's go on to another innovative. Okay, yes. We're going to go on to another game from uh, Brain Games. We did Ice Cool. And this is Game of Trains. This is a card game, and you have a train. Imagine that. At the beginning of your train is an engine. And after that are cards that depict the carriages of your train. And you're going to start off with these carriages arranged in descending numerical order. And the aim of the game is to rearrange these carriages into ascending numerical order now you can do this with a range of actions that are on the cards you can swap things in the middle i mean the actions are very simple like switch one or two cards in the middle move a card to the left and move a card to the right and there are some big horrible actions that affect the whole table i think we're going to talk about them so you basically get rid of the your end card and everybody else has to get rid of their last carriage get rid of the middle carriage everybody else has to get rid of their middle carriage so it's Build as a quick, fast-paced card game with a bit of a puzzly aspect. Did you feel like it hit those notes, Roland? Mechanically, there's nothing wrong with this game. I think we played it with four, and that was too many for our first game because you actually have to be aware of what the other players are doing, how close they are to winning. When you replace one of the cards in your lineup and put it in the middle and make it available for its action, you can be setting up the other players. So you need to be aware you're not doing that and you need to be aware that when you put the same action in, you cancel both of them and they disappear and be doing that to screw with the other players. So I think four for your first game is too many. Two or three would be better. Here's my major, major issue with it, okay? The mechanisms are absolutely fine for a funny, screwy filler. The theme isn't. With the theme and the big numbers and the boring trains, I think it leads you to expect something else and that's where... I think the disconnect is, and I had it when, after I played, I was like, what was wrong with that game? Because when I think about it, and uh, there's nothing wrong with it, but I didn't really click with it. And as those days have gone past, I know you didn't click with it either. As the days have gone past, I've gone, it's the theme. It's definitely the theme. If that theme was, I, I can't even, like, I, a chain of ants even, and you're attacking each other, and, and you're putting soldier ants out, which will gobble the ones in the middle of the line, and you're trying to make the line from your ant nest to your food source. That literally came to me that second. Or you're trying to get hot air balloons up in the air, and, and you can fire muskets and shoot them out of the sky or something, and, and you're messing with each other like that, and you're trying to arrange them, and you're bumbling around the place. Light, fun, colourful themes. It would give more of an expectation as to how this game plays, the train thing makes you think it's going to be very mathy, and it's not. It's much more interactive than that. And I really want to get this back on the table and give it another go. But more than that, I wish I were as skilled as that dude in Board Game Breakfast who rethemes all his games. I know he does a lot of them as The Simpsons, which is cool, but he's really talented. I wish I was able to retheme Game of Trains into something more interesting because I think there's a gem of a filler there. 
I don't know if there is a gem there. I, I, I didn't hate it, but I, I had some major issues with it. I thought felt like it was too easy. If you wanted to change your last cards, to, and you had that card that just mashes everybody up, it's, it's too easy just to say, well, I might as well do that because I'll mess you guys up here with a bit of luck. I drew my first three cards. But, but someone has to make that action available to you. Yeah, right. True, so true. you have to be very careful about allowing someone else to have that action. And that's why I think also four players comes in because you have less control over what actions are available. It could go a little bit too long, especially with four players. Yeah, I, I drew my first three cards. I tried to exchange the, on the end of my train because it was just completely out of sync of everything I was trying to do. And yeah, I just kept drawing higher and higher. It was just complete random what I, what I was getting. It was funny, the random ones you kept drawing, like 91. Or, yeah, and every, or and every time someone good. blew up one of my carriages, I would get like an 80. I don't think I ever picked up anything but 80. So maybe it was, it was just hilarious. a personal thing that I just, I, I could not have won that game. With the that luck greatly I had, improved the game for me. Yeah, I'm sure it did. I, the luck I had, I could not have won that game. I had zero chance, no matter how well I played, because of the luck I had. And, yeah, I just didn't like the attacky-tacky cards that popped up. Yeah, Yeah, I think it was quick and light enough that they were okay. And I I like the manipulation of action. I'm sounding like I hated it. I didn't hate it. It was was okay. We're going to move on to another card game, but on a very different bent. This is called Oligarchy. Now, it's come from a bunch of LCG fans. It's set in a dystopian future. But in the real world, I think it's the 2070s or 2080s, something along those lines. And you are going to be playing as two of the factions. It's made by Entropic Games and designed by Gary Wareham. So it's a bit like Smash Up in that you, you take, be it the eco faction, the media faction, religious faction, Illuminati, whoever it might be. You put two of them together, shuffle them up, and that's your deck. You're going to be playing against one other player, and you're going to be attacking each other in influence in the two factions that they're representing, trying to reduce the influence down to zero. You've got cards, which are units or events. Uh, Units are going to be out, they're going to have attack and defend value. Events are obviously going to manipulate what cards are on the board. The units are going to have special abilities as long as your influence is above a certain level with your factions, which means that as long as you're doing well, your units are powerful. Once you start going down and doing poorly, well, then you become less effective. I think there might be a bit of a cascade effect there. It's got a dual economy to it. You've got influence and affluence, and different cards require different levels of those two to play. Very much LCG influence. They've tried to, for the board game market, bring out a core set, eight decks of the different factions. There are going to be booster packs available, but you've got commons, uncommons, and rares within what you have in in this base game. It's going on Kickstarter soon. Clearly, there's a lot of passion behind it. Sean, you didn't play Oligarchy. Any comments before I give my thoughts? Well, I, I didn't play it, but I did watch you guys play it. There was a lot to admire about the game i like the way it was set up and you had uh, unique powers that you were trying to to influence with what on one stage i did like the variety of cards but i think on another platform that was my biggest problem with the game i think it was caught in two worlds from what i could see 
if they made it into a, a deck building game where you actually choose the cards that you put into your deck because that is a, is a huge variety of cards and at the moment it's just completely random luck or if they want to hone the factions so that you've only got like a fraction of that deck and each faction has their own cards and you know that you're going to get to a, a card sooner or later because the game i watched with you guys is now between you and natalie Natalie just drew a load of useless cards in her first hand. You drew two fantastic cards in your first couple of hands that really worked together very well, and she could. That's do just nothing. really good play. <laughs> and she could do zero about it. She could, until much later, near the end of the game. So she didn't score a point because you got that that symbiotic this couple of cards very early, and it just completely smashed her out of the game. She had no chance. 100%. I believe we spoke to Gary, the designer, and he told us that he brought this to UK Games Expo last year and didn't realise the backlash against TCGs within the burgeoning board game market. People don't want collectible. They don't want to waste money on cards they're never going to use. It's why the LCG model works. What they've done is come back and they've tried to present you with their whole game in one box. They think that's what board gamers want. They don't. Exactly what you said. The decks are massive. And there's too much chance and there's too much learning. And there's too much. I don't know what I'm going to draw. First thing I do, Sean, whoosh, whittle down those decks, get them focused, get them so that they have got synergies between them with different factions. So they play slightly different with the different factions. If I put my eco with Illuminati, it plays slightly different than it does with the media. But the eco does something because it does too many things at the moment. The real problem Natalie had is she had sort of a mono economy. She had all affluence and she needed some influence to play some of her cards and that's because you have those cards in your hand and you can play one at the beginning of each turn so you have a build-up of what we'll call mana production right i think they need to learn from innovations i think they need to learn from the likes of hearthstone whereby your mana production is automatic it shouldn't be cards in your hand it should be just i choose to have one more affluence from now on as income or one more influence so that i'm more in charge of what i'm doing rather than these cards it's like setting up a two-color deck in magic if you don't draw the blacks whatever then you're screwed but i think gaming's moved beyond that and magic does that too well don't try and take them on i think they should go much more if they want the board game market they need to go to the lcg model they need to move away from those tcg leanings they need to take the rares away i drew a rare it was awesome i beat natalie she didn't draw a rare out of the what appeared to be over 100 cards in her deck. Don't have rares in a core game product because it makes it too luck-based. Keep those for something else. Keep it for deck building. Give people the best of your game and allow them to then decide if they want to buy boosters or chapter packs or adventure packs, whatever you want to call them. So much promise here. I don't think they understand the market that they're trying to market to yet. I don't think they understand their competitors well enough and what's been innovative and what they need to build upon because they've got a great theme, they've got great ideas, they clearly know a hell of a lot, there's a really good design there, slightly change up the packaging and and I think you're onto something with oligarchy. Gary did say that they come back for a second year running because of the feedback they got. Hopefully they'll get the feedback possibly on, on the lines that we've just said there and come back for a third time. I know it's a long old project, but I think there is definitely something there, Ronan. Okay, so moving on to another project. And we mentioned at the top of the show, there was a lot of Kickstarter games that were coming out soon. 
around the tables and this is one of them and this is the one that caught my eye the most it's legends untold from inspiring games what it is is a very small box card game and what they promise in this small box card game is almost a role-playing game that plays out in about an hour you have map cards that you're advancing along you have various different creatures coming out of you but they're promising that it's not just a hack and slash myself and natalie had a quick go in that quick go we had some very interesting decisions that weren't as they promised they weren't just hack and slash there were interactions with other people bartering with other other characters so it's something that i'm going to be looking at on kickstarter owner nice and another crowded marketplace adventure card system games coming out and now you've got gloomhaven coming soon everyone appears to be capturing that rpg light idea if they can do it in an hour then more power to them the passion of the guys that are on the table as well they're really passionate about the project so i'm definitely going to have a look at it and i would advise anyone who's into the adventure card game systems to, to do likewise cool sean i got you playing another abstract game what you happened did you keep you kept bullying me you kept <laughs> i'm only yeah. little and you kept you kept bullying me into playing these that's exactly games. the case right so shut <laughs> up <laughs> it was kadinka designed by david brayshaw and leonard boyd and from backspindle games and originally from ninja division it's a 2012 game originally but i think it's finding its feet on the market this year like i said it is an abstract game it's a four by four grid of four different color tiles with two different sizes to them white and gold each player gets a color off these tiles they also get four scoring cards which show an arrangement of their four tiles so it might be my four green tiles for example and you need to have them in a diagonal line and it's going to show you which face up you need to have so maybe two golds in the middle and the whites on either end there's also going to be a straight line a square and then sort of a spread out square the corners of a three by three square if you like if at any time you're able to achieve those scoring options you flip over your card that's one point. First of four points wins the game you also get other cards which allow you to either set the pattern of all the faces on the grid so you turn it over and you say here you go this shows how the golds and whites should be and all the tiles go to whatever that card dictates or you can use it to do a super move move a tile from one end of the line to another or what have you you get two actions on your turn to move the tiles around or flip them over you're just trying to make the patterns sean we had a quick game of it what were your thoughts on kudinka um random you could tell exactly what the other players were, were trying to do because we all had the same patterns that we were trying to make so it was obvious if someone was going for a straight line or or a square in the middle or go to the four corners there's the randomness of those cards that just flipped everything on the table to the opposite side completely ruining someone might be working for four turns to get a straight line of whites and be one move away from it and then all of a sudden someone will flip it on just one card just one card there you go i don't think it's a four player game i think two player would have worked a lot better but yeah it just seemed slightly organized chaos to me yeah we played with three and, and it did seem too many you can't directly undo what the other person has done but in three players that doesn't matter because sean might do something i i couldn't undo it but natalie could yeah so eh, it didn't didn't work and four i'm extrapolating here would be awful i think as a two-player game it might work it didn't do enough for me it's a pretty game it looked really striking from afar those those tiles are beautiful but yeah it just didn't quite make the grade Okay, so I'm going to move on to another one that 
quite possibly is one of those games that Ronan mentioned earlier that a famous designer just sort of maybe casts away and doesn't think about for the, too much and someone grabs it and makes it. It's mmm by Ronan. Mmm? Mmm? <laughs> From Dr. Knizia. Mmm? Yeah. This is it now. It's a game where you are mice and on the board it depicts some food items. You have to roll your dice, and if you get the food items depicted, you may place the dice onto those food items. If you completely cover the food item, then you get to keep it, and the cat doesn't get any closer to you. If you don't, or if you mess up, then the cat will come closer to you. That is it. I looked at this game because, as always, I will try and pick up some games for my boy, who's just getting into games now. And uh, we were kind of desperately looking for some haba or something. We wandered across Pegasus Spiel stand, and there was this game said like four upwards, so perfect. He'd be four in July. I think there's not enough in the game for him at four. He will roll the dice, he'll put the dice on the food items, and then he will get bored and say, Okay, I've done that, Daddy. Can we go and play something? Because this isn't a game, it's nothing, it's just a collection of pictures. I just don't understand how this came out of the mind of the great Dr. Knizia. I just, Can I just ask you a question? Yeah. It just sounds like a food-themed ancient terrible things. <laughs> 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 and it's making me hungry. <laughs> We've already made this game more interesting than it ever will be, so should we move on? <laughs> sure. Dragonwood by Game Right Games and in the UK, Coiled Spring Games. So this is a little card game about adventuring and conquering monsters and getting enchantments and trying to be the best adventurer, basically, by Darren Kisgen. There are two decks of cards. The first cards are the adventurer cards. Their numbers 1 to 12 in five suits. They're different colours, basically. And everyone's going to start with five of those in their hand. Then there's a row of five encounter cards, which are, like I say, monsters or enchantments. There are some events in there which are random or come out and will affect the game somehow. And there are two dragon cards in that encounter card set. They're down the bottom and they're the biggest point ones. You're going to be attempting to claim encounter cards. You either draw a card from the top of the deck on your turn or you claim an encounter card. You try and claim an encounter card by either playing, you stomp, you swipe, or you scream. And that means basically you play cards of the same number, the same colour, or a run of numbers. However many cards you've played, you take that many dice and you roll them. They're dice which are 1, 2, 2, 3, 3, 4 on the six sides, so it's not completely random. If you're rolled more than the hit points of the monster, or however many you need to claim the enchantment, you get that card. The enchantment will help you either one-off or for the rest of the game, so it might help you do stomps better, or shrieks better, or you can throw it away to add four to a result whatever it may do, or you claim monsters and they're going to give you points at the end of the game. The game ends when you've been through the adventure deck twice, so you're not going to see all the encounters in each set. It is light, it is fun, it is colourful, it looks great on the table. I'm going to hand it over to Sean. I didn't actually get to go play this with you guys. Where do you think it fits? I mean, sits. do you think it is a game that a group of adults can play or is it someone that's a game that you have to maybe have the younger audience either with you or entirely it's definitely light enough that you have to play it with kids and in fact it's so light that we did a variant on it because even my kids say after one they'll go through the deck 
when you're trying to build your sets of cards to to take on these monsters enchantments you're just supposed to take one card from the top of the deck and it's completely random so what's the point in having enchantments to help you with stomps or, or whatever or to try and build any sort of a, a synergy between what you've collected and what you're trying to do so all we did was we laid three cards from the adventure deck out and you can choose one of them and then at least in that way you'll feel like you've got some control of the sets you're attempting to build. And, and my kids, I said to them, you know, what about them? And they said, yeah, definitely. And they much preferred it that way. Now, they have played quite a few games. And there are older kids. They're not young anymore. So that, that might come into it a little bit. I think for little kids, they won't matter so much. But it can be frustrating just trying to draw a card. It's like, you know, when you get into Rummy and everyone's holding the twos that you need and you're just drawing a card, drawing a card, drawing a card, drawing a card. It's like that. Well, if you can lay three cards out, you can have a little bit of control and you can decide what to spend and what to keep. And Oh, I'd like to take that monster on, but that card's perfect for me. A couple of light decisions, but definitely a kid's game, but an attractive, fun kid's game. No classic, but definitely worth a few plays. And I'll tell you I'd bring it out for. If I had kids coming over who weren't used to playing games, we could all play it. I wouldn't be bored and they'd be able to understand exactly what was going on. Does the dice uh, rolling lend anything to it? Yeah, it's got the typical thing of you're going to be calling someone a jammy so-and-so after a while and you're going to roll four dice and roll all ones. It's going to be disastrous. So it removes the complete calculability of the game. And obviously kids love rolling the dice and seeing what they get and it's small numbers to add up. So it, it kind of all works that way. So not for as young as your boy, probably not for my 13-year-old. She's moving on to much more advanced games than that. But somewhere in the middle, they're going to enjoy Dragonwood. So moving on to another really light game. We seem to be finishing with some really light games, Rodan. Felt that way about the expo, though, that there was a lot of family games and lighter games. It was yeah. the, You got the role players, you got the miniature players, but there were a lot of families. There was great to see loads of kids at the expo as well, so that was good. Oh, absolutely. There were lots of really cool kids' areas from the huge kids' version of Castle Panic in the Pegasus Spiel. They had a couple of kids' uh, big soft toy games and all sorts. So, yeah, it was very kid-friendly. This one is Santa's Bag. It's from Griggling Games, and my wife Natalie loves... Just just to cut in, Sean, we met the designer. Did we? We did. Do you know what else he designed? Go on. Quartermaster General. Oh, is that him? That's him. Oh. He designed Santa's Could you get two more different games? Yeah, yeah, interesting. <laughs> I'll plant that one. Carry on. So... He was lovely, by the way. He was an absolute fantastic man. What a great guy. Only reason this was picked up and played is because of my wife's obsession with Christmas. So she spotted a Christmas game and off she popped. And when we got home, there it was. So I had to give it a go. This is It's a game obviously themed around Christmas where you are Santa and you're making toys for children. You are doing this by amassing materials in the form of cards. There is a trade mechanic in there where you can trade these materials, but generally you're drawing them from a stack. In the middle, you'll have four boys and girls and four toys that they want and what materials are needed to make those toys. Each of them have a different three-point value. You play until both players get to a certain number of toys built. That is it. It really isn't particularly good, unfortunately. There is nothing to it. The trade mechanism just does not work at all. Zero sum, there's nothing to it at all. It's completely luck-driven, what cards you pick up, and what toys you can make, and whether you can get the higher scores ones or not. I think we'll play it at Christmas, just for because it's a Christmas game, maybe once every year, but 
quartermaster general i can't i can't believe it from the same person i have my hopes up it's gonna be some sort of christmas themed war game <laughs> it's gonna lead the reindeer against the snowman santa's bag is definitely not my bag baby it's another one for your boy from War Game Breakfast, isn't it? Retheme Courtmaster General around Christmas. <laughs> I love that man. He's so clever at doing things. Okay. The final game we are going to cover is called Dodled. It is from Thames Cosmos and Klaus Teuber of Catan fame. And it is a family Play-Doh type game. You start off, everyone gets their own colour Play-Doh, and you're going to make two models. But the trick to this is... You can't make them too obvious. If, for example, I got binoculars on my card and I made a perfect pair of binoculars, all the players have got guessing cubes and there's a shoot in the middle. And at any point, if they think they know what your model is, they can chuck a cube in the middle. If they're the first down the shoot, which they come out immediately, it's just a break tie sort of thing. Only one cube can come down at a time. They can say, it's binoculars, and they'll score points, and I won't. So why do I want to make it not obvious? Because... Everyone's going to make two, three, or possibly even one model with higher player counts, and you're going to lay them down. On your turn, if people haven't guessed each other's, and they weren't all obvious, let's hope, you're going to choose one of someone else's model, and you're going to move their disc on one, and that's going to allow you to either ask two questions, which are yes, no, maybe, or impossible to answer questions, or, on alternate spaces, reveal one of the first five letters in the name of the thing, from those clues, obviously everyone's listening and everyone still has that chance to guess what the model's off. For the person who's made it, once you've asked one question, if someone guesses it then, they're going to score one point. If it goes on to the next question, they're going to score two. The next question, three. And then, after more questions after that, it's going to go down again to two, to one, and to zero. So you want people to be able to guess it with some clues, but not be too obvious and not be completely impossible to get. You're just going to carry on playing exactly like that until... Anyone starts their turn and either there are no models for them to guess on so everyone else has been guessed or until everyone's models have got back around to zero and they've been too hard to guess. It can't go on forever. It's got that fun, physical, party, family game thing of making things together, but it doesn't reward being awesome at making models. It rewards asking good questions, listening and sort of interpreting how the other person thinks. It reminds me of a much less cutthroat Pictomania. And myself and the family really enjoyed it. Sean? Yeah, it sounds very much like Dixit with dough. <laughs> Just trying to get that impression over, but not being too obvious about what you're trying to get across. My only real comment as someone who's not played it is the look of the game doesn't didn't draw me in. That The idea of it did, but the look, it looks very sterile. Lots of greys and whites, and but I, I, I like the thought of the game, definitely. I think it looks really good when the models are out. Right, the board and what have you is grades and whites, but it kind of allows the models to pop a little bit more. It does look kind of clean, minimalist, two thousand design rather than eighties flashy colours everywhere design. Maybe that's what you're, you know, you're nostalgic for that. <laughs> Possibly. Grow a mother for you. It's all right. <laughs> that's it. Those are all the games we've played at the expo this year. Hope you enjoyed listening to them, and we're going to see you out next.
So we had a great time at UK Games Expo 2016. Very much looking forward to 2017. We still have a haul of games left to play. You'll be hearing about more of them as we go throughout the year. We'd like to thank everyone who's there, everyone who played games with us, all the volunteers, the organisers. Brilliant. Had a fantastic time. Thoroughly looking forward to go back. We'd like to congratulate Lloyd, one of our Game Pit denizens, for coming 58th out of 462 at X-Wing when he only started doing tournaments in the last couple of months. You're going to be the champ one day. You can do it, son. Get there. Believe. You're the best around. around. <laughs> Okay, just some specific thank yous. Uh, thank you very much to Liga from Brain Game Publishing, to Edward from Battle of the Bands, Bez, Innerbind, Innerbind Junior and Wibble. I've got to say one thing quickly about Bez's stand. That was the one stand in the whole place. Everybody came up playing Innerbind was absolutely having a ball. They were crying, laughing, some of them. So if you haven't tried yeah, so it. So Innerbind has been picked up. It has by Gigamic. And it is a really, really good game. They're doing something with the artwork, but they're keeping the gameplay. When that comes out in a big release, I promise you, as a party game, I am a mate of Bez's, but <laughs> Inner Bind is here. It is. It is. It's my favourite late night barbecue summer game. It's, it's a great game. It is a really fun game. Thank you to Leslie from Playtime PR. She showed us uh, Hope, which is out on Kickstarter now. Thank you very much to Xena from Thames and Cosmos, showcased Imhotep. Big thing for us because the Thames have uh, joined up with Cosmos. Thames make science kits. Now they've joined up with Cosmos to, for a UK arm of that publishing wing. It's great news to the board game market because all those Cosmos games you could only get in German before are now being put over to English. Now, we spoke to Thames when we were there and they said they didn't quite expect... <laughs> what was going to happen when they paired up with this German board game company and they have a flood of games to translate but they're going to carry on doing it we've noticed in the last year that they've been translating them and Cosmos games come out quicker in English that they're forging onwards and upwards with that so good luck Tim. Cool and thanks to Johnny for showing us all around the Geekington tables Ronan didn't quite manage to convince him to give us a free table <laughs> <laughs> I wanted the £2,800 one that's not unreasonable <laughs> massive thanks Thank you to Hannah from Coiled Spring Games. Thank you to Rosie for showcasing Perfect Crime from Grublin Games Publishing. Really interesting. Oh, that's on Kickstarter yeah, another now. game on Kickstarter now. I think you were quite interested Great in that, theme. Ronan. Go and have and of course, yeah. uh, to our old friends at Mage Company and in particular to Helena. So yeah, thank you to everybody for making it just a fantastic weekend. And... To see us out, as always, Rona, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there for gaming podcasts of fabulous quality. And, of course, we can be contacted at thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, anything you want to see in the show, please email us. We're on Board Game Geek. We have our guild there. We love to hear from people. Uh, just talk about anything. We'll join in. If you want to see us, we are on Facebook. We are on Twitter, at Game Pit Podcast, And we have a new Instagram account, which is being run by my lovely wife, Natalie, who is posting all the pictures of the stuff we play. So please come and follow us there. If you want to download our episodes, you can do so on iTunes, Stitcher, and of course, Podbean. Thank you very much for listening. Music. <laughs> <laughs>